celebrate the most significant event that's ever happened in the history of all mankind. Christ is risen.
we will see that our prayer chain of over 100 people receive your requests, and they will be praying for you this week. They would love that opportunity. Children, I'd like to invite you forward at this time so that we can send you out. And by the way, there will be some empty seats when the children leave. So if you'd like to fill in, please feel free. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing over these sweet children. Your son Jesus says, let the children come to me. And today they come to you, Lord, with open hearts, willing spirits, eager to learn from your word. Bless them as they go, that they might be a shining light for you in their neighborhoods, in their schools, in their families, and all they come into contact with. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. We have just a few reminders this morning. Um, first, our Rooted groups are starting up again in April. This is our third round of Rooted. Uh, we have had 180 people go through this discipleship journey, and um, we're launching it again. So on April 17th, we will launch uh, these 10-week discipleship groups. And if you would like to get connected with God, this church, your purpose, um, then come to Rooted. Uh, and there were people wearing these badges today that say, ask me about Rooted. So if you see somebody with that badge on, ask them. Go to the events table, pick up a flyer, and sign up. We will have a men's group, a women's group, a mixed group, and a couples group. And like I said, many of our congregation have already been through this, and I know that they uh, will give you good things to say about it. And uh, so sign up. And you can also sign up online. Our women's retreat, our women's sojourn is coming up April 26th to 28th. Ladies, um, I would love to encourage you to go to this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it up in Idlewild, just two days to get away and let God just drench us in his love. And um, there'll be wonderful times of worship, wonderful, wonderful times of uh, drawing close to him. We have a fabulous speaker and you can sign up today at the events table for that. Well, right now, I'd like to bring up uh, Fatty and Mary Badawe. Here they are. And every Easter, we like to have um, some people come forward and just, as a witness to you, share what God has been doing in their life this year. So, Mary, um, share with us a little bit. Oh, Michelle. <laughs> okay. Uh, probably some of you remember last time we were standing here, I was talking about how I just brought my husband to church and we just got married and um, the first thing I'm, I'm, I, when I, I did when I moved from Mexico was looking for a church and uh, gosh I didn't know what to expect you know I was hoping that uh, there was you know there will be that would be something good for both of us and I can tell you it was something good for both of us and uh, you know uh, I remember that time when I talked to Fabi, uh, where we were coming to church, he told me, you know, Mary, we will do that just, you know, just to be at peace with you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. So, but we will go to the first service on your church, and then we will, we will go to my church, you know. So I said, okay, we're going to be very holy, you know, because we're going to go to two churches. <laughs> The thing is, after we came here, uh, you know, God talked to him, in a, you know, through Steve, and uh, he, he never mentioned even going to his church, you know? So I said, yes, you know, we're gonna go only my church. And he said, only, you know, I'm not that holy, you know, because it's only one church. But the thing is, 
it's, it's been amazing. I'm very happy that after that, you know, he just, we just started growing and growing. And um, even go, though we just go to one church, you know, the growing has been so wonderful. We actually, uh, uh, you know, I went to the women retreat with you guys and, and, and then I, you know, we signed up for Rooted. And it's been like uh, such a wonderful experience. We have grown so much in this place. I was very afraid because when I, I, I came from Mexico, I was just like, uh, I became Christian like six months before or one year before, some, something like that. So I, I was so afraid that I was gonna lose what I, you know, what I was learning there. So that's why I, want, I was so insistent about coming to church. But, uh, you know, it's been amazing. I have, uh, I, I just had a blast, you know, I, I have very good friends like Liz, you know, I, we, we went rooted together, now we have, you know, we're sisters, we're in a life group, and uh, as a couple and as a person, we have grown so much, so it's, it's been wonderful. And uh, of course we have, you know, some trials, but it is so different to have trials when you are, you know, you know place and, and with people and and uh, you know faith that you know keeps you strong even in those times so you know it's been good so if you can go to rooted just sign in because it's wonderful and you're gonna love it thank you thank you good good uh, fatty what about you uh, she said it all uh, <laughs> no but um truly i i truly feel blessed coming to this church it really opened my eyes my heart to the Word of God that I never really experienced before in my life. I always thought that I had a relationship uh, with Jesus, Jesus in the past, but I never really did uh, until I came here and I realized how lacking I was. I was very lazy and procrastinating and pursuing my faith and growing in my faith. And I thank God for uh, uh, sending my wife to actually, uh, I think he spoke through her to bring me to here and uh, to, uh, to stir the Word of God in, in my heart. And to just to give you a testimony of what that means is um, uh, Mary and I actually, after we got married, we, uh, we had a lot of problems. I mean, uh, uh, she was, uh, we were butt-heading, head-butting. We both have very, very strong personalities and we, we will not yield to each other. And we wanted to do it our way. So we were not really letting God work in our, in our, in our life. Even though we're, I was coming here, I mean, I've been a Christian about two years. But uh, it's been a slow, slow, I'm a slow learner. And it's been a slow growth for me. But it means so much to me what I've learned from here, from Rooted, from Wild at Heart. Uh, my God, I mean, my, my heart, my, my, I mean, my mind opened up in ways like I, I, I never knew I would be like that. But come to our marriage, uh, actually the, the big D was coming through my mind and her mind yeah, to, uh, um, I mean, she, she was like speaking Spanish to me, and I would look at her and, who are you? And then I'll be talking back to her in Arabic, and she looked back at me, who are you? Uh, I mean, that, that's how it sounded like. Like, we were not speaking the same love language. We, we did not have the same language. And um, it, it finally it took us, we got to a point where her and I, I mean, I, one time uh, there's a sermon Steve mentioned that some guys never ever cry. Uh, and I'm one of those guys, so, but that night actually, her and I broke down and it, it got to a point where we couldn't take it anymore. And uh, because we were trying to work it ourselves, but I, I really thank her because right during that moment, she asked uh, me to, to go on our knees and, uh, and pray to God and give it to God. 
And I would never done that before, but, but I did it that night. And, uh, and I know it's, since then it has been magical. Like the big load has been taken off our shoulder. We prayed to God, we gave it to God, we totally surrendered to him. And uh, until now, it's been like we're dating. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some disagreements here and there, but nothing, it's nothing like before. And I'm so relieved. It's, it, I mean, that's my testimony on what, what, how God's been working in my life through here. the ushers will come forward with Bibles. If you would like to follow along, if you have forgotten yours and would like to follow along during the sermon, first please stand and greet those around you with the love of Christ.
And the reason there's a risen lamb is that a lamb was sacrificed. A lamb was slain. This is one of the great motifs, the great metaphor uh, in the life of Israel. That on, that, on the eve of them being released from captivity, God instructed them to uh, prepare a lamb. An unblemished lamb. And to take blood from that lamb and to put it on their doorposts. So you can imagine all these houses with a, a cross of blood across them. And that night, the angel of death swept across the land and passed over those homes. It's a picture of what is yet to come, fulfilled by Jesus himself. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In this life, we will have plenty of tears, buckets of tears. But in that life to come, everything is new. A new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new you. In the meantime, we are connected to him and are growing in our experience and understanding of this life. It begins now. Recently, I was meeting with a dear friend, and uh, this will be his last year on the earth. And we were talking about his memorial service. And he's a character, and we were just having a great time talking about life and what is to come. And as I was talking to him, I thought about something I'd heard years ago when somebody was asked, what do you want to hear at your memorial service? The guy said, well, I'd like to hear, hey, he's moving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Oh my gosh, hey, he's okay. You see, this is the thing that brings us together, that Jesus is moving in this world. We've not come to memorialize somebody who died a long time ago. I've had friends who have been much loved in this life, and they passed away, and, and all their great friends did a golf tournament for the first anniversary. And they did a kind of golf tournament for the second anniversary. And by about the third anniversary, two guys were playing golf and said, hey, didn't so-and-so die on this day? I mean, it's that kind of a thing. It's not that we don't care. It's just that when people die, they die. Jesus died and rose again. This is the shocking thing, the scandalous thing that brings us together today. Now, if you're here as somebody's guest and you're not so much scandalized as much bewildered, why would you get together like this? I'm, I'm looking forward to a great meal sometime today. But what are we doing in the meantime? What I want to do in the next few moments is to help you understand what we're doing here today. And to do that, I need to put it in its larger context. And that is uh, from the Word of God. John, the youngest of Jesus' disciples, probably... Uh, teens when he started to walk with Jesus. Now as a man, right, as an old man writes this, describing Jesus' last moment. He said, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, Jesus is on the cross. It's, it's all over. Knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus' last words, it is finished. It's actually one word. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that last word he said was, tetelestai, tetelestai, it is finished. It is finished. It means I've completed 
what I came to do. Everything that needed to be done has been done. It's also a word from the business world of the day. On any obligation paid, any contract fulfilled, it was written, tetelestai, paid in full. And that's what Jesus did. And in this sense, tetelestai is the last word and the first word of the gospel. But for this word being uttered by Jesus, there would be no good news. It would be old news. People die. That's old news. Sad news if you love them. But old news because everybody dies. When I hear or read in the newspaper descriptions of people, so-and-so, age 90-something, died unexpectedly, I always think, really? <laughs> who, who was not expecting that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of unexpected that he turned 90. Yeah, that's, that's more unexpected. Everybody dies. But in this case, Jesus lives. And so that's the, the last word fulfilling what he came to do and the first word of everything that follows. That's why we're here today. Because he completed what needed to be done. He completed what needed to be finished. And now, having finished that, he has something to say to us about what it means. And you might be here today saying, I really don't know anything about this. I, I, I didn't grow up going to church. I've never heard really an explanation for what this means. It could be that by the time you leave here today, you're going to say, not because anything I say or anything we do, but because the Spirit of God is in this place, calling out to people calling out to people who are yearning to live. Not yearning to be religious or to follow new rules or to maintain rituals, but are yearning for a relationship that would lead them to life. And it might be to your, 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 your surprise and chagrin, by the time you leave here today, you'll say, I want that. I want him. And you'll walk out of here a brand new person. You'll be a person who as if, it was as if you were born again. So this word tells us that Jesus finished what he came to do and completed his mission. To Tetelestai is Jesus writing paid in full on the cross with his life, like you see on the bulletin, the worship bulletin today. So because of that, we call him Savior and Lord. But for that, and his subsequent resurrection, we wouldn't be calling him anything. We wouldn't know about him. We wouldn't care. And if we did, he'd be a... A footnote in history. Ah, oh, poor guy. Meant so well. Had such promise and potential. Too bad. And through his death on the cross, he has founded and funded the church. Not church as an institution, but church as a movement of God's people with his spirit at the heart of it. And where that is unleashed in the world, it's awesome and beautiful. It brings life and hope. When it gets, when it gets cut off by people who use that for an excuse to exercise power over others. When it becomes their message, not his, it sucks the life right out of the church. But he fully funded a movement of his people with him at the heart of them, empowered by his spirit, guided by his word, that releases life wherever it goes. Tetelestai declares that Jesus was victorious over our adversary, over Satan himself. A powerful spiritual, created being, not equal to God, but bent on, committed to, sabotaging, undermining anything and everything of God. He has been defeated. He will be defeated for all time. And this was a decisive confrontation between Jesus and Satan. If you remember Jesus' first description, uh, the description of him as he began his ministry was Satan confronting him and trying to tempt him. And Jesus 
wouldn't buy it. And now Satan thinks he's won. He's victorious. But when Jesus says, it is finished, he could be looking at Satan saying, you are finished. I've come for my own. And nothing and no one, including you, will separate them from me. The temple curtain, a massive curtain in that massive place was torn from the top to the bottom. Two guys could get on the bottom maybe and, and pull it and tear it. But from the top to the bottom, it's torn. Why? The way has been opened for a personal relationship with the living God. The sacrificial lamb has made that possible. The lamb who lives. The Lord who reigns. And so his victory gives us a voice to sing a victory song celebrating what he did. He's put a new song in our heart. Now, some of you might think, you don't know how I sing. You know, it doesn't matter. The song that God has put in your heart needs your voice to articulate it, to declare his glory among the nations. And though you might not be able to carry a tune, you carry him in you. And there's nothing more compelling, more beautiful, nothing that will move you to tears more quickly and lift your spirits higher. It's this song of joy. It's the song of rescue. It's the song of restoration, the song of reconciliation, the song of renewal, the song of relationship rooted in the very heart of God. And so tetelestai is the basis for saying Christos Anesti, Christ has risen. Now, if you're Greek and you're here with us today, uh, Greek Orthodox Easter will be celebrated in May. So you get a two for this year. You can have lamb today. You can have lamb in May. But every day you can say Christos Anesti. See, Christ is risen was the cry. The angel said to the women who had gathered at the tomb to finish what they had begun in order to honor Jesus in his burial. Matthew tells us, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Christos Anesti, just as he said. It is finished. He's risen. That can't be said of anyone else in human history. This outrageous, scandalous fact has been parsed. It's been vetted. It's been scrutinized and investigated. In every generation, somebody steps forward and says, look, can we just put this to rest once and for all? And usually, they are attorneys. <laughs> And you know what? How many generations from this event to now, in every generation, at least one attorney takes this on and becomes a follower of Jesus? So I think now, by now in heaven, there's like, I don't know, 40, 50 attorneys. It's awesome. It's just fantastic. <laughs> it's something we celebrate, right? It's that good. And I love hearing people who are saying, look, I don't buy it. And I say, God bless you. Uh, you shouldn't buy it, but you should investigate it. If you're an honest seeker, I love an honest atheist. I love an honest agnostic. Heck, I even love honest Christians. Because once in a while you meet somebody in, in this cultural setting who is a cultural Christian. That is, I was born into a, a, a religious identity, but it absolutely means nothing to me. But I'm so secure in that because I don't really need to know anything about it. I'm just, it's just part of who I am. And I love it when they get honest and say, I really want to understand, why would anybody believe this? I feel like I'm living a lie. This is my cultural heritage, but I don't buy it. Don't buy it. 
but investigate it. Open your heart and mind to him. And when you do, it'll turn your life upside down, inside out, and eventually right side up. Your head and your heart will be connected. But this is not the experience of those first disciples. The mood that day among the disciples was not jubilant. It was despondent. And they weren't buying it. They were crushed in their spirit. They thought Jesus was going to do something that they'd been looking forward to historically for a very long time. And then this. He's crucified among criminals. He's mocked. If he was so powerful, couldn't he have turned the tables on his accusers, on his betrayers, on those who crucified him and mocked him? Couldn't the hand that healed the leper's hand have turned leprous the hand of that soldier who struck him? Couldn't the one who gave voice to people who were mute taken the voices from those who were mocking him? Couldn't he have done any of that and all of that? Yes, he could have, but that was not what would allow him to say, it is finished. But these disciples didn't know that. They didn't understand it. For them, hearing it is finished means we're finished. He's finished. It's over. All of our hopes are dashed. Another disappointment. It looks so promising, and it failed so miserably. So we see that some of these people became immediate refugees. I'm getting out of here. It's too dangerous. If they did that to him, what are they going to do to me? So people started leaving or hunkering down and hiding. And, and two of these men went off to a town called Emmaus, a small town that's now just a wide spot on the road, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, talking is probably a nicer way of saying they were commiserating with each other. They were frustrated. They were complaining. They were second-guessing. They were Monday morning, morning quarterbacking. What could have happened differently? What did he do wrong? What did we do wrong? How did we miss it? This was not going to work. How was I so easily taken in? Now what? We're in danger. So talking with a sense and edge of panic and despair in their voices. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them, along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And this just stopped them in their tracks because on one hand it's ridiculous, on one hand it's too painful to have to say it all over again, but what could they do? One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been? <laughs> Truly, I can see out of, out of a sense of anguish and anger. What? Where have you been? Don't you know? What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, and then I imagine it's softening and then reconnecting to their grief, their loss. He was a prophet. Powerful. Sounds silly to say that word now, but powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. They being the Romans 
a man who lived a perfect life, in whom we were in awe. No one had loved like that. No one had spoken like that. No one had cared for the poor, the oppressed. No one had connected with the powerful like him. He had done nothing, and yet they crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had a cultural picture of what was supposed to happen. They believed in Jesus, and they believed what he stood for, but they believed it through their cultural lens, which meant that he has come to turn the tables on those who oppress us. Finally, things will be made right. This Messiah that we've been looking forward to is going to be like this, this heavenly force of power to step up for what we believe is due us, to let the whole world know that they cannot push us around and fulfill God's promises for humankind, starting with us. And it will be glorious when it happens. And then this, their cultural image of what the Messiah would be was shattered like their emotions. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. That's a whole other sermon, why women amaze us, but that's another day. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, empty, but they did not see Jesus. So Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He goes on to say that they stopped and ate with him. And when he took some bread and blessed it and broke it, they recognized who he was. And then he left them. <coughs> they couldn't contain themselves. Their hearts were burning within them, they said. And they ran back to Jerusalem to tell what they had seen, what they'd experienced. And their story matched the stories of those who likewise had seen him and encountered him. And were now reconstructing their world from that perspective, from his perspective. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's not just a statement for the benefit of Israel, their law and their prophets. But if you look at the law, the 634 of them, you look at what the prophets were saying, what is the message? It's a universal human message. The, the prophet Micah said, Higid l'cha adam matov. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. To love justice, to do kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Prophets constantly calling the people back to the righteousness of God that was their legacy, their birthright. The law guiding the people into how to live in a way that reflected the goodness, the greatness of God himself. Uniquely spoken through a people called Israel, but it's a message that resonates with all people everywhere. Do you believe that Jesus fulfilled that? 
That's why he could say, Tetelestai, it's finished. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And not just for Israel, but for the whole world. One small cultural view cannot contain me. And as long as we see him through our cultural viewfinder, we'll miss so much of him. He is for all people, in all places, at all times. He works through cultures. He's above every culture. There is no such thing as a Christian culture. There's only Christ in people, in culture, redeeming them so that their culture can be everything it was meant to be. Not to swap out a culture, but to fulfill their cultural identity in him, by his word, empowered by his spirit. So do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to build your life on it? Because on the way to Emmaus, those men did not believe that enough to build their life on it. They were swatting it away like an annoying fly. The sooner I get this behind me, the better. Do you believe it enough to build your life on it? Believing it half-heartedly is really just a passive version of denial. That's why I love an honest skeptic. I love it when somebody says, look, I think this is ridiculous, but it's too important to ignore it. I want to really look at this. I want to take this on like a dog takes on a bone. Our little dog, Skippy, takes him weeks to take on a bone. He stays with it, though. Are you willing to build your life on that? Don't let doubt or denial or disobedience define you. Don't let that be the sum total of who you are. I'm a doubter. I'm disobedient to God because I think it's stupid. I can deny him because it's a fairy tale. Don't let that define you. Why limit your life? What we want to hear about you is he's moving. She's moving. She's alive. There's something happening in her. What's going on with him? We want to have people open their hearts and minds to him so that doubts become the place where he meets them and takes them past it. Disobedience is the place where they say, Lord, I know this is not what I want to do or be. And I know this is not what you want from me. So show me how you want to deliver me through this besetting sin, this thing that's holding me back and upsetting the people around me. We want it that when you feel that social peer pressure to say, ah, yeah, 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 my culture has the last word. And you go, oh, man, I know my culture doesn't have the last word. That God would say, hey, I'm going to meet you right where you are. Let's try it again. You see, Peter denied him, and he was restored. Thomas doubted, and he was relieved. The Emmaus men were drowning in doubt, and all of a sudden their hearts were alive, burning within them. It isn't easy, really, believing in Jesus, because it's not just a belief, it becomes a behavior. Belief is so easy, behavior is a whole other magnitude, a whole other order of profundity in living one's life. Like wearing a cross. It can be a fashionable ornament or a statement of faith. I, I can't judge what it means to a person when they wear a cross. I can only guess. Perhaps it's just a fashion ornament. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's got sentimental value because somebody gave it to me. Or maybe it's exactly what I don't believe, but I wear it because it's my way of acting out. I don't know. For other people, it's a radical symbol of here's who I am, here's to whom I belong. Many, many people accept Jesus as a religious symbol, but deny him as a savior. 
He's an empty symbol to them, not a living Savior. And the question is, after all, why? Why do I need to be saved? Saved from what? Saved for what? Who are you to tell me I need to be saved? See, we treat it like often the two guys, you've heard the joke, they encounter a bear and one guy stops to put on his tennis shoes. His buddy says, what are you doing? You think you can outrun a bear in those tennis shoes? Well, no, but I can outrun you. That's all I need to do right now. You know? <laughs> I just need to get ahead of you. And it fails to see that but the forest is filled with bears and lions and tigers. Oh, my. Why do we need to be saved? And, and who does Jesus think he is to tell me what to do? Well, simply stated, he's the one who died and rose from the dead. So on good authority, he has something to tell you about living. And here's, the, here's the, the crazy secret. He loves you more than you love you. He wants what's best for you more than you want what's best for you. He wants to set you free more than you understand how free you want to be. He wants to take you to a place where you, you can truly say, I have no regrets about whatever I did last night. I feel so good this morning. I feel so free. I've learned to say yes at the right times. I've learned to say no at the right times. I care about people I never even noticed before. I, I ask forgiveness when I would have come up with a brilliant rationalization for why it was your fault it happened. I'm being set free. I get it. I'm being saved from my past, in the midst of my present, for the future. What did it take to convince you? If you're a believer, what did it take to convince you? And if you're not a believer, what will it take to convince you? You've never made a business decision deal with all the information you wanted. You never made an important commitment that paid off in spades in any part of your life without some level of risk. You knew enough to say, I'm going to take the next step. This is your moment. If what he said and did is true, we are now accountable for him to what we do with it, even if we don't believe in him. I was once pulled over by a representative of the state of California. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere, we had, did not even know each other. <laughs> and she writes me a ticket. I said, I didn't know that was against the law. She said, now you do. <laughs> I was accountable to people I've never met. I had to go to a meeting with people I'd never met <laughs> so that the insurance company I have would never meet me. <laughs> You're accountable. We're accountable for what Jesus has done. It's an annoying fact that will not go away. And as soon as you start looking at it critically, I don't mean just negatively, openly, honestly, it, it goes from annoying to enormous awesome. This is a scandal of the cross. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. This is Paul the rabbi who hated the whole idea of Jesus being, claiming, being claimed by his followers to be God, who ruthlessly went after them and encountered Jesus in the process. And now he's a follower of Jesus. And so he says, Christ has done this and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the amazing scandal that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have a victory song, not about our victory, but his. 
God came into the world to save us because we need saving. He came into the world to save us because he believes we are worth saving in spite of our sin. His love crushes sin's power and pull. We need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And who will tell them? Just one kind of person is going to tell them, that person whose heart burns with his love and his truth. Not in some kind of a crazy flailing out of control way. But all of a sudden it comes clear and they say, whatever it takes for me to come alongside those people I love, I want them to understand what Jesus is doing in me. And I hope that they are open to him doing it in them. You have a story to tell if you know him. Let no one rob you of your own voice. Let nothing stop you from living free in him. Don't let your culture shout you down. Don't let your fears of being rejected shout you down. Don't shout back. Don't bully your way into mugging people in the name of Jesus. But every opportunity you have to give a reason for the hope that is within you, as you notice, as you listen, as you pray, as you earn the right to be heard, as you authentically care for people, they're going to love the song you sing. So let's recognize and embrace Jesus for who he is and what he's still doing. He's finished his mission, but he hasn't finished with us or our world. Thank God for that. I know my Redeemer lives. I can't tell you the confidence that gives me to give up my own agenda for the world. My own agenda for my wife, my kids, my life. It allows me to say, Lord, what is your will? I know you live, and I know I live in you. And because you live, I want to learn from you. Teach me how to be a man. Teach me how to be a husband. Teach me how to be a father, a pastor, a friend. You see, it gives me confidence in his ability to raise me up to live in him. And because he lives in me, I want to follow his lead and learn from him. Because he lives, I welcome his Holy Spirit. I embrace his holy word. Because he lives, I'll not let my culture have the last word on what is true or good. I love my culture. I will engage my culture. I want to be part of God's work in transforming my culture. From a culture that is dying by degrees to a culture that is life-giving and ascending in righteousness. I can't impose that, but I can sing a song that somebody might hear. Because he lives, I know that he will have the last word, and he will have the best word. And I think it's great that the economy is getting better. If you have money in the stock market, you're having a happy, happy week. Records are being broken right and left. But let me warn you, it's an inadequate sign of prosperity. It's good as far as it goes. If, if it's all you have, it's false prosperity. If you're blessed in your investments, God bless you and use them wisely to glorify him and bless people. But don't see that as the measure of your prosperity. Let me tell you this. True prosperity is when God is honored and his word is taken seriously because nobody can take that away from you. Whatever happens in the market is irrelevant to your prosperity because he is your prosperity. He is always for you. He's always with you. And if you have him, you have enough. You have everything you need. But why would anyone go there? Why would anybody do that unless Christ's church, his people, demonstrates it first? 
Why? I eat the pizza my friends tell me they can't get enough of. I can't have any friend now go to uh, New York City and not tell them to go to Papaya King. It's the best hot dog on the planet. You're going to be in New York City, you've got to go to Pomfrit, the best french fries I've ever had. You need to go down to Rust and Daughters, down in the Lower East Side, if you want some great noshing. Right? That's how it goes. When you see people who are alive to something and committed to something and enjoying something, you say, tell me more about it. Where is that again? So why would anybody do that if we're not fully alive in him and singing that song that he's teaching us? Let me end by saying this. Easter, historically, has been a commissioning celebration. Maybe you don't know that. Easter, historically, was a celebration of commissioning. It's that time of the year when people would gather in Jesus' name to celebrate his resurrection, and they would baptize all those people who in the past year had come to know Jesus and had been learning about Jesus. And now, as they were, were ready to step forward publicly and say, I believe, I know that my Redeemer lives, they'd baptize them at Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He's alive in them. He's alive in them. He's now alive in her. He lives, and now they live. It was also a time of consecration. If you were raised up to be a leader among God's people, they'd say, on Easter, we're going to consecrate you and commission you in your new role as a leader. We're here for a commissioning service today. God is calling you to report for duty immediately, right here and right now. Yeah, but I walked in not believing in him. God bless you. Walk out believing in him. You got a new commission. You get permission to believe in him, and he's commissioning you to walk in his life. Everything has been arranged. There's no need to look back. Your best days are ahead. My friend who's going to die this year knows he's had an amazingly full life. When they write his obituary, people say, oh, my gosh, what a life. He'll go, no, 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 no. You're looking in the wrong direction. My best days are ahead of me. My best is yet ahead. So is yours. He's calling you to walk with him in newness and fullness of life and build his kingdom one day at a time simply by abiding in him and singing his song. Let go of what you think matters. Hold on to what he says matters. Why? Christos Anesti. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, for that we give you honor and glory and praise. We thank you. We thank you that you do live and because you live, so do we. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive the morning offering. If you would like prayer for anything after the service, we invite you to our prayer garden in front of the sanctuary where a member of our prayer team will be there to pray with you one-on-one. -on -one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings you bestow upon us each day, all the resources you've entrusted to us our time, our talent, and our treasure. Lord, we want to be wise stewards of these resources. We, you say that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also, and we want our heart to be with you, Lord. And so we give back to you now, generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, knowing that in your hands these gifts will be used to seek and save the lost through your redemptive power, your amazing grace, and your unconditional love. Amen.
as he lives, we live. And if you came in here saying, I don't know what that's about, leave knowing fully what it's about and say yes to him. Invite him into your life. It's simple. Lord Jesus, I don't know if this is true or what, but I think it is, and I want to live in you. And we'd like to help you learn to live in him. Perhaps you've been so discouraged, you've fallen, failed, and you feel like, well, I don't deserve to be here. Are you kidding me? He brought you home today. This is for you. Live in him. Stop looking at you and your, your sins and your problems and start looking at him. And she's the look of love that's drawing you to be, become strong and alive in him. And if you're doing great things for God and you're thinking, I'll, I can do this. I can, God, you take a step back. No. Say, Lord, let's now take a step forward. I, I have even more confidence in what you can do. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his love, his peace, his mercy, his power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful